you're listening to an Electrical Industries Charity podcast. Before we get started, it's important to let you know that we're going to be talking about complex issues which may be triggering, so we hope that you only listen if you feel that you're in the right headspace to do so. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description of this episode's content. These stories and this podcast are unique and personal to the people we're speaking with, and the views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent those of the Electrical Industries Charity. So, let's jump in. Thank you for joining me today, Rachel, on our fifth podcast episode to share your insights and support for our apprentices. For our listeners, as a brief introductory, Rachel has worked JTL for several years in her role as a diversity, safeguarding and inclusion advisor, an especially important role for our discussion today about apprentice mental health. JTL is one of the largest work-based learning providers in England and Wales, working with over 3,800 businesses from large corporations to small local suppliers. They currently work with 8,000 learners and train more apprentices than anyone else in the building services engineering sector. JTL invests in the health of their human... JTL invests in the health of their apprentices, taking a holistic approach to care with consideration for the multifaceted human experience, valuing mind, body and socioeconomic influences and their respective impacts on individual experience. I've asked Rachel today to join me on this month's podcast episode, engaging with the topic of the apprentice mental health landscape, to discuss some of the experiences she has had working with apprentices, what she has learned, what what needs to change, and how the EIC can help. Thank you for joining me today, Rachel. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic to have you. So just um, for the first question, I mean, I have given a bit of a, a, a introduction, but anything I may have missed, <laughs> what do JTL do? Yeah, well, thank you very much. As you said, Sarah, I think that was a great overview. The work that we actually do is we support, in a nutshell, we support intermediate and advanced apprenticeships in, in our sector. So if you think electrical, um, plumbing, heating and ventilation and engineering maintenance, that's what we do. The way we work is through delivering our own centres um, or working with delivery partners or you might think of colleges, so we work that way. And whilst most people, if you think of JTL, you would associate us with the apprenticeships. Um, also wrapped into this is uh, traineeships for people who may be needing that first entry point if they're thinking about a career in the sector, as well as having you know functional skills, MVQ assessment mm-hmm. and other short courses within the sector that we're working with. Great. So it's, it's quite holistic, actually, in terms of yeah. your service and support Very provision. Much so. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Launching straight into the focus area. Um, what would you say are some of the challenges apprentices are facing? I think particularly in the climate that we're now living in sort of post um, lockdown, still pretty much in pa- pandemic um, sphere, as it were. What are some of the challenges? I think one of the big things that we've seen, and I think everybody listening will probably be aware of, is the pandemic was an incredibly weird time for everybody. The way we work and the way we did things had to change. 
also very conscious as well. Initially, if you're an apprentice, uh, you would likely have been going into lockdown. So you wouldn't have been going to work in the same way. You could well have been furloughed, but you were still trying to work out and navigate how do we keep things going in this in this strange time. And that set up a lot of different pressures, I think, for people. For many, I would think where what we have seen, as everybody will have seen from reading the news, listening to the radio, is it puts a lot of different challenges on people. And one of the things we did see was it really starting to impact on how people perhaps were feeling about themselves, um, their well-being. And you... Yeah. see that really in terms of people's mental health. We're very lucky that apprentices mm. do mm. feel that they can speak with us at JTL about how they're feeling and obviously we work very closely with yourselves as well. But one of the things that we really noticed was people really reaching out and the things that they were talking to us about were a lot more concerns around how they were feeling and about mental well-being than we had been seeing previously. Absolutely. And and in terms of our experience from the welfare side, we definitely saw during the lockdown period, people as a result of the isolation and the loneliness were having a lot more time with their thoughts and their feelings. And I think particularly for apprentices who were you know furloughed for example this all came to a head or they they came to more of a realization of some of the experiences that they may have had in their childhood for example or some things that they had been feelings that they had been concealing for months years and interestingly the number one reason apprentices reached out was for undiagnosed childhood mental health issues during that period yeah so, and, and prior to that, um, a few years ago, the main reason why apprentices would reach out was for homelessness. So there's been a huge shift in terms of the presenting circumstances that we're finding on the, the welfare team. Mm, that's, as you say, that's really, that is really, really interesting when you think about it in terms of that shift as well. Because one of the other things that, you know, we, I know Sarah, you and I have spoken about in the past as well, is if we think about the sector that we work with, it's still, it's 98% male if we if we think about what we do. When we were talking about this podcast, I had a quick look back through some of our, um, informa- you know, information about our learners. And over 50% of um, the apprentices we support are age 16 to 18. And we have more mature learners now coming into the sector, which is, is great. But one of the things that often comes up still is this feeling of, you know, the stigma or, or embarrassment. Apprentices in a very male-dominated sector, it's this stigma about your mental health, which is something that we, we do see a, a great deal. And I mean, I know we can say, you know, um, the sector that we work with is is starting to change. You, you will see reference, and I know through the work that your team do, more employers getting more aware of the importance of thinking about mental well-being as well as physical well-being. Lots of people talk about the one in four in terms of, you know, one in four people experiencing, you know, mental ill health at some point in their life. We've seen a rise in mental health first aid becoming something that's much more openly spoken about. But still, even with that, there is still this feeling that I should be able to manage my mental health is something that comes through. There's still this feeling of stigma, I think, that still comes through. But the fact that people are starting to talk about it more, I'm, I'm taking as a positive sign that we're working with a sector that 
really wants to see this change? You know, stigma is still very prevalent. It is something that will take years to change. I mean, there's been so much progress nationally, but I think as well in the industry, particularly with the awareness trainings um, and other project developments that are underway. So I think there's a lot to be done. Uh, And just feeding from that, we also noted that only 13% of cases utilizing the EIC mental health services reporting reported telling their employer and I think what that really demonstrates it is there there are these pockets of stigma in, in existence um, when I talk about a pocket I mean you know f- for instance COVID caused furloughings it also caused people to feel very insecure about their you know for example their apprentices um, their employment And as a result of that, I think people really concealed their suffering because they felt very much disposable. Um, And in sharing what they perceived as weakness, they may be perceived as, you know, the first one out, essentially. Um, So I think that it's been very much a, a layered experience of stress and pressure over the past year and year and a half. Mm. I agree and I think it's very much as you say it's been lots of people have had different things you know or it Mm. could be that they're returning to work they may well have had family members who are shielding it it could be you know that they're they're worried about other people and returning into work as well that can set up other anxieties about how people might have felt about them being out and about but equally the pressure then of wanting to get back to to learning and continue you know with my trade and developing my skills and I do think as you say there's been this real feeling of lots of people sort of suffering in silence I think is probably Mm. how I would phrase Mm. it considering the intensity of apprentice training um, and I remember speaking to apprentice and he said you know you are you do everything and anything you know you're working college and then you're working for your employer and you're learning as much as you can but you're quite stretched Um, and I think particularly during COVID you know their college learning has been set back Um, issues with employment but all the other factors that are involved so I don't know if you want to share a bit more on that in terms of the intensity of the apprentice training I think people forget how intense it is yeah yeah and I think you know as we said you know as we just mentioned earlier we were talking about you know the the profile of apprentices and I was saying that you know at least 50% of the apprentices that we support are age 16 to 18 so Mm. if, if you take COVID out of it almost for a moment for them for an apprentice who's coming in first off you're adjusting to being in a workplace rather than informal education all the time anymore you're not just adjusting with having to to think about work but it's also you're now having to study for a technical qualification which could be very different from what I've done at school there's a lot of uh, getting up to speed with that but you're also trying to do this along how do I work in a workplace Um, how do I build my working life as well and how do I put these new parts together because when I was at school or as in full you know full-time education that's what I did whereas I'm now in a situation where I'm working so I may be traveling I've got you know Know, what happens with my family how do I fit in at work how do I get up to speed with work how do I fit in all this off the job and this other stuff that I know I need to do and it takes time to to work out how you're going to balance all of that out and I think this is a really nice um lead-in to 
what needs to change? And and we did discuss sort of components on this, you know, being language awareness, early intervention, training, investment in well-being. And it's obviously qu- quite a big focus area. Mm. But in relation to, you know, what you've just shared and some of the, the multifaceted stresses that apprentices experience on a day-to-day base, basis and have to juggle and yeah. all these moving parts. What do you think maybe needs to, not necessarily change, but maybe it's maybe it's more about improved? Some of the things that we've looked at, as you say, is awareness. I think one of the things that we've seen in the last couple of years is perhaps what I would say the discussion around mental health has started. Where we need it to keep moving to is into that real conversation. I was listening back to some of your previous podcasts and um, I was very much listening. I think it was John who was saying it's around having a conversation and that's something that's really important. So I think awareness of language, being aware of how people are feeling and it being okay to speak about things is important. We're starting to see a real investment in terms of organisations looking at things like mates in mind, uh, mental Mm -hmm. health awareness, lots more people. Obviously, I know through yourselves, you offer some great programmes, employees in our sector around supporting awareness building and building that knowledge and confidence. I think it's, I quite like the World Health Organisation use a really, really good definition of well-being. And they talk mm. about it in terms of three elements. You've got your physical well-being, mm. you have your mental well-being, and you have your social well-being. Mm. So if we go back to where we were saying at the, t- at the start of this, from our perspective, it's about holistic. I can't leave the, my social well-being behind and just think about my physical. They, they, they're all parts of who I am. And I think that investment in recognising that we've got different facets of who we are is 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 really really important and i think that getting comfortable talking about that more is part of what really helps to drive culture change i and i think we both agreed on this some time ago i you know ideally would like to see mental health awareness training become mandatory for apprentices um and employers employees remember doing a few mental health awareness trainings, I think it was in the midst of um, COVID where we were doing it all virtually. And I was doing one for a group of apprentices and most of them were, you know, either on their phones or, you know, have borrowed, had borrowed a laptop. And I think having the phone accessibility to supporting content is so important for an apprentice group although you you of course get the mature apprentices as well or the mature apprentices but for the the younger who are so much uh, more sort of technologically driven I think that would be really really helppful mm. and I think it's it, there's often this assumption there's a, a, a different dialogue isn't there that that comes up mm. in in other areas where we're talking about mm. remote learning is that everybody has a computer at home and that's not necessarily the case so really true. very much as you say it's I mean, if you think about it in anything we do, we go online to do our shopping, you know, you're you're trying to pay your bill with the, you know, the local council tax or what have you. Everybody has had to think about how we design things so that their portals work with mobile device. 
we can't just assume that everybody has a computer sitting at home that they can use. And I, I also think as well, you know, when we talk about culture change and things, it's and you mentioned, you know, around the, the, the training and looking at that becoming mandatory. As we've already said, you know, we can see larger and medium sized companies who've really been getting on board with, um, you know, the mental health first aid training and if you think back pre-COVID, I know that there was the lobbying that had been starting with Parliament around, from a health and safety perspective, whether mental health first aid um, should and could be considered in the same way as physical uh, first aid and health and safety. Um, and, you know, there had been discussion around should this be brought into into law in the same way, recognising the fact mm. that there are these different facets of who we are. I think one of the other things as well that I notice is there's a lot of information out there and I think particularly perhaps for some smaller employers as well, it's where do I start with some of it? You know, how do I see the wood for the trees? Because there is, there is a lot of information out there. And often some of the conversation is around, I think, you know, identifying the right resources and right approaches to support people. And that, I think, is sometimes a challenge as well. Mm. And that's so true. I, I I saw that actually at a, it was a mental health awareness training, mm. but it was a group of employees and within the and it's that stuck with me it's lingered with me within the group were senior management mm. and one senior manager in particular was there I didn't know anyone's you know who was an employee who was you know in terms of the um, management team and who was you know a team member as such and uh, one of the senior management near the end of the session shared that he had been suffering with his mental health and mm. was regularly seeing a therapist mm. and it was Rachel it was palpable the yeah. energy in the room mm. just absolutely changed mm. and everyone seemed to just relax a bit in terms of talking about these these issues and mm. these experiences mm. um, and things like stigma and what is mental health and how is it integrated with physical health and it just made it just changed the quality of the communication mm. in, in that instance. Mm. And of course, I'm not saying that people need to make huge disclosures no. um, in order to evoke change. But it's what you've just said in terms of maybe just showing, you know, a little bit of vulnerability when you are asked, you know, how are you doing? Maybe just being honest, mm. oh, you know, today's not a great day for me. You know, this and this has happened. And I think the sharing of the load is always really, mm. really important. Mm. I've certainly experienced that with my my team from um, the welfare side. You know, when we are having a particularly tough day, uh, we share that with each other, mm. and it certainly helps. Mm. And and I think, Sarah, as you say, it's those conversations are away, perhaps without people necessarily even realising it, it's almost sort of challenging that stigma. The same would be perpetuating culture because if it's moving it to something that people can have a conversation about and can discuss, that is starting to change culture. And I think in terms of organisations, as you say, you know, mandatory mental health changing really sort of 
opening up the conversation I think is important but also another thing I think is really important for employers um, and colleges and anyone is about very clear signposting as well if there are support staff there to help people because it's great on one hand having the conversation but then it's a case of saying yeah okay well now I've said that where do I go with it so I think you know clear signposting you know support personnel I think is, is really really important where they okay if, if this is something you're experiencing there are people you can talk to these are the people you can get in contact with and not making it difficult to find that information mm-hmm. I don't think anybody intentionally tries to make it difficult but sometimes it gets buried and if somebody's in a space where they feel they need to speak to someone you don't want to have to dig through 85 clicks on a, a, a company website or something to find the information you need we so often from our side the welfare side we you know our calls are generally when that person has gotten to crisis point and i think particularly in the apprentice group where tragically the suicide rate is so high we've experienced 14 completed suicides we really need that early intervention that early signposting people feeling safe and comfortable to call us knowing that the conversation will be confidential and that they will be supported i think it's it's imperative but early intervention and if you think more sort of nationally it's it's hard if you make your first call to them and you find out you're going to be waiting six to eight weeks for support that's incredibly derailing for um a, a young person particularly when you put yourself out there and shared a pain um and then essentially feel very closed down and helpless in that moment. So I think it's just that reiteration and, as you say, collaboration, communication, all of that mm. entwined. And, and you're absolutely right because it, it is, you know, as, as we've been saying, if it's early intervention, if somebody said, actually, I'm, I'm not doing too well, it's, it's then saying, okay, so where do we go with this? How can we help? But if you take that first step and then just feel that, well, what was the point? Because it's going to take me however long to speak to somebody. And I know that may be quite an emotive statement. But as you say, I think if, if somebody's reached out, you need to know somebody saying, OK, I've heard you. I'm listening. We're here. And, and know where it goes next. What happens? Because as you say, if, if I feel that I've told somebody and then I hear nothing, I'm just going to close down again. I think, you know, sort of to round off, I'm, we have, you know, JTL and EIC have a, a great working relationship and partnership, actually, certainly in having that collaboration and communication, particularly when there are people in need. Would you add anything else in terms of how the charity has helped, you know, JTL apprentices? Absolutely. I would say, you know, thinking about how you supported us is, you know, we work together. I mean, the support and the services that we can access through the EIC team are, you know, they're fundamental in the support that we offer with our apprentices and employers. It's, you know, it's hugely reassuring for us. Um, to know that should a learner or an employer need support, you know, they can access this swiftly through work. We can access this swiftly through working with yourself and through the EIC. As you say, when compared to things like, you know, some of the ever increasing waiting times, you know, we, we, we see with the NHS and with other support agencies. And that is something where I think, you know, the EIC, that, that collaboration we have is something that I think is incredibly special. And for us, it gives us as an organisation a, a great feeling of reassurance knowing we have a partner like yourselves. 
Thank you, and, and thank you so much for JTL's support over the years as well. So important to us. And finally, maybe quite a challenging question, um, but if you had a, a message for an apprentice listening who's struggling and finds it difficult to ask for help, what would it be? Okay, I think what I would probably say is, do you know what? Things may feel so messed up right now. Um, you just don't know where to start. Yeah. It can almost feel like, you know, if we're thinking about the industry we work with, you can feel like you've got a real mess of wires in front of you, which is your life, and and you can't Mm. see how these cables are ever going to be sorted. But what I would say is it can. You know, it may well take time, and that's to be expected. And you may well feel, you know, that you should be able to sort it all out yourself um, because other people seem to deal with things. But what I would want to say is you really aren't on your own. And probably more of those sorted people um, than any of us realise actually have had a helping hand at times too. Um, so it's okay to reach out. Text, email is fine. If you don't feel you can speak to somebody, perhaps it's a text to someone, you know, and within JTL, you know, if uh, for our apprentices, we've got a, a, who have, may have concerns. There are people here to listen and support. You have your apprentice support officers, your training officer, your tutors are here, you can contact directly to, um, you know, the diversity safeguarding and inclusion team. And everyone here is is, is you know is is uh, is armed with details from the EIC and other information so to support you should you need them but please we, we know it'll be hard but it's okay to reach out you're not on your own thank you Rachel I I, I really like the analogy of the um, messy wires and and trying to get them straightened or resolved as such um, I think that's that's yeah relatable and thank you Thank you so much for your time on our episode and look forward to maybe doing another in some time on a different subject. And for those listening, if anyone is struggling at this time, please contact us on our confidential helpline on 0800 652 1618. Alternatively, you can email us on support at electricalcharity.org. Thank you. If you or somebody else working in the electrical or energy industries is in need of support, or you wish to donate to the electrical industries charity, please get in touch via email at support at electricalcharity.org or you can call us on 0800 652 1618.